0: Underwriting for AutoLine this week is provided by...
1: In this epic battle of fuel efficiency and endurance, we're here to see which hybrid has the best MPG. That's the essence of a
0: hybrid soul. But is there more to it?
1: The Hybrid Game
0: MPG Challenge. And now, here is your host, John McElroy.
2: Welcome to AutoLine this week. We're going to be talking all about design not just automotive design, because today we've got one of the greatest designers that's been around, a designer extraordinaire and a futurist. And I'm talking about Sid Mead. Sid, great having you on the program. Thank you. Also joining us today are John Manoogian, former GM designer, also a teacher at CCS, the College for Creative Studies, and Jim Hall from 2953 Analytics, who knows a lot about design. Thanks for having me. Let's get started. And, And Sid, you know, right now there's big blockbuster movie out there called Elysium. And yes. I understand that reflects an awful lot of your work. How did that all come about?
1: Well, Neil Blomkamp, of course, was the director of District 9, which was well-received. It got four Academy nominations in various categories. Including Best Picture. Yes, so this is really phenomenal for a, almost a first-time big release. Uh, Elysium is a $112 million budgeted picture. A-list, uh, Jodie Foster, Mark, Matt Damon are the stars. And I worked with Neil at the front end of the development of the film on the action sets at the end of the, the big control room and some of the inner sanctum control areas. And then as the uh, design fabrication process moved on contributed uh, the ground terrain look of the inside of the rotating torus. So then I went to Weta New Zealand and other companies to do the 3-D modeling, a lot of CG in this film.
2: You love looking into the future. That's been reflected in your automotive design, and we'll get into that. But the movie business has been good to you.
1: My first film was post-production, Star Trek, the motion picture. The first Star Trek with Robert Wise, the gentleman director of Hollywood, I call him. is very quiet. He's gone now. And the second film was Blade Runner with Ridley Scott, from zero through post-production. The third one was Tron with Steve Lisberger at Disney from pre production to, to post production. And then I think we went into 2010 and in Aliens. So I, I got a good running start in the movie <laughs> design business. And it's thrilling because, and it's seductive, because you design something and it goes into production. You see the, f- the trailers or the finished footage and they dial in sound. So this aluminum or plywood. Phone core board door slams shut, and it weighs 15
0: tons on screen. And sounds like it. It's amazing. Yes. Yeah, it's,
1: it's very, very amazing. Yeah.
0: With, with Blade Runner, uh, is it true that you started out to do vehicles? Yes. And yes. when they, they, they realized they could, because they, I, I understand at one time they wanted to shoot out on real streets, and there's one scene shot by the Bradbury Building on Broadway in yes. downtown L.A. Yes. They did that. But then after that, they were sort of condemned to the Warner's set which is a set that it's the only one of the major studio sets that hasn't burned down. So right. as you walk around it, you say, public enemy, the big scene. Oh, you've seen it forever. Exactly, because yeah. these sets have been around for so long. Yeah. And is that one of the reasons they shot it at night? Because they could hide the sets? Well, one of the reasons they shot
1: at night is because there's a mountain behind the <laughs> the, 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 the lot. Yeah, yeah, that kind of And it. you don't want to see the mountain. <laughs> right. And plus the fact uh, Ridley wanted, it was a noir I'm going to use a French word now, genre, uh, film. So is noir, by the way. But yes, right. <laughs> yeah. Gosh, sacre bleu. So, uh, it was shot at night because he wanted that, that dark, he wanted c- complete control of the lighting. And the only way you can do that, yeah. That's right. So uh, the the film, it was in pre-production for eight months, which is a long, long time. Yeah. yeah. And by the time they shopped the film, some wag in New York said the financing for Blade Runner was at least as interesting as the story. (laughs) (laughs) You know, that dark, gritty look that that movie has had was sort of totally against what you were doing in your previous artwork stuff. i am always asked that. Was that that a big deal when you started to do that in terms of how dark the movie was? Well, no, because by the time I worked in the movie industry, by invitation, excuse me, I'd been working for corporations and for 20 years doing illustrations and design work. So the movie was just another business flowing through my corporation. I re- didn't really attach any particular importance to it. Other than that, do your best, sure. get, get briefed on what you're supposed to be doing in the first place, and then go ahead and do it.
0: But one of the most impressive illustrations, like when I was growing up looking at these things that you had done, was the illustration of the traffic jam in New York at night with the sentinels and <laughs> in the rain, In the rain, and it's right. dark. And that to me had that feel of Blade Runner. And that has to be something that you did five, six, seven, eight years before Blade Runner, Hell right? Yes.
1: I did that in the 60s. Whoa! Wow. And that <laughs> rendering was what Ridley liked a lot because you said so there was no horizon. Right. Yeah. It's architecture. It's dreary. The rain is, it, it's it's horrible weather, and it's futuristic. But it
0: did look like the future. I yeah. mean.
1: So he loved that rendering. Um, but Ridley, I, I, was the, I was the first person on staff because the vehicles had to be built. Took a long time. Gene Winfield did all the vehicles. I think about 18 or 20 of them. And so uh, that's where we started. And because I've been painting, I knew how to do painting very quickly with gouache. And I showed Ridley the designs that I'd come up with in situ, with the background and the dreariness. And he suddenly caught on. He's an artist himself, and that's so I painted my way into the rest of the picture. <laughs> <laughs> the um,
0: you also uh, worked on aliens. Yes. And the Sulaco, the Sulaco, the big ship that the marines go, but. I remember the armored personnel carrier in there.
1: Well, here's this. I was a judge, one of 12 judges in Florida, for that year's Miss America contest, picking a winner to go to Miss Universe. And we had a running back for the LA uh, uh, Raiders. Back then, yeah. And we had a a, sort of a steamy southern novel lady writer. Her husband owned a hardware store chain. And so they wanted to spread uh, sort of a point of view to go, so, Jim Cameron, FedEx, there's the, the script down to me, stayed up all night reading it. He's a great writer. And came back on the plane sketching this Sulaco, and it was a ball. It's in one of our books. And I showed it to him. He said, no, 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 we can't. This has to go by the camera. We don't want to pull focus. It has to be a slab kind of a thing. So that's why the shape ended up as it did. The, the um, the armored vehicle that was a rid that became a a 747 towing truck because the production went to pinewood in england very very fast after pre-production so that was a 747 tow truck that took i don't know how many tons of lead off of it and that was the armored vehicle uh as the underneath part of the prop dressed because it
0: was done full size it was i mean it was just amazing to see it and it was was full size it was one of those things, there's design all over it, even though when people say it's an APC, I say, look at it carefully. And they're like, oh, my God, the offset windshield, the cannon that rolled over the top. You know, the
1: cannon that rolled over the top, that was my idea. And they did this all in England. I didn't go over there with the production. Okay. The loader, they uh, did oh. the pivot points with uh, two-by-twos and garbage bags stuff with the newspapers to get it to articulate. <laughs> And it was Amazing. so cumbersome. Uh, Sigourney Weaver is in this thing. They had guys in black bodysuits behind running this thing. It was, it was much too heavy. It wasn't electrified. It was manually wow. It manipulated. was lifted,
0: so it was, it, was, yes. it was like a no puppet. Yeah, yes. in, yeah okay. Yep. Was yeah. Eager Geiger involved in any of that? The guy that did
1: it? Uh, it was the 20th century. It was a the release. They own all the, the rights to it and uh he wasn't involved in the second picture but certainly in the in the first with uh, ridley scott and there are amusing scary stories about working with him in, <laughs> at pinewood also in, in england with
0: giger or yes.
1: speaking of the future i first met you in 1980
2: at that's the detroit- not the future <laughs> well, well i know that but we're going to get to the future in just a second here Be- I-, I met you at the detroit press club and i don't remember why you were there but you were speaking there and uh, I remember going up to you afterwards and said, OK, Mr. Mead, you're a futurist. What do you see for the future of the automobile? And you said at the time, well, we're all going to be riding electronic horses running in the electronic herd. <laughs> and I said, OK, uh, elaborate, please explain what that means. And, and you said, it's like the old days in the saloon where the cowboy would come out of the saloon drunk, untie his horse, climb in the saddle, pass out. And the horse would go to the barn. Mm -hmm. The horse knew how to go get oats and dry hay and all that. And then you said, that's the electronic horse. And the electronic herd is just as we've seen in movies, herds of buffalo running, and they don't crash into each other. Or flocks of birds that wheel and twirl as if they're one, or, or school of fish doing the same thing. And you said, that's the electronic herd. So here we are from 1980. Here it is, 2013. And we're on the verge of getting the autonomous car, the electronic car that yes. can run in the herd.
1: My question now is, where do you see the future of the automobile going? Well, what's worrying about, worrying the auto industry right now is a younger generation coming up. They have social media at an elaborate level. And they're not particularly interested in getting their first car. They really are not. Uh, and they, they can go together with somebody else who has a car, but they're not really individually
0: fascinated with the automobile as such it's not about the trip anymore
1: not really no no
0: because for for me oh. it was going for a ride with my dad on the weekend yes. we're gonna go take this car out and he had, he had sports cars mm-hmm. we'd go riding it and then the generation after mine it was you use the car to get to where you wanted to go which right. may be the mall or whatever and now because of social media there's an issue about how often do we really have to do this anyway yes.
1: mm-hmm. and with uh, um, haptic technology touch uh, electronically transmitted you can you can feel texture um, you really don't have to be there. And they're starting to put cameras all over the world. You might be able to go to Victoria Falls and hear the sound, see the picture 24 hours a day. And that's, that's travel without the dangers of crashing the plane or whatever. So, no, the and world, that down, the world hey. from 10 to 15 years from now, in terms of that kind of uh, facility, will be unrecognizable. The pyramids will still be there. So will the Washington Monument. So will, so will the DIA, but uh, the world, as a, a touch-and-feel, transportable illusion, will become very elaborate.
0: Is it conceivable you'd have experiential centers? Yes. Where you know These places would be tied sure. in with far more technology sure. than you could have at home?
1: The new technology for a theatrical release is a dome theater, spherical projection in 3D, so you are there. You've, you've gotten rid of the proscenium which is a startling thing to think about because um, the, it's completely immersive. And if you're on heavy drugs right now, it's completely immersive, too. But <laughs> you're in a theater, commercial theater, and you're, you're seeing this production, theatrical release, in that format at about 100 frames a second. So it's absolute reality. It's astonishing. It's going to be astonishing. So, so going back... Projecting 10,
2: 15 years out, where does that leave the automobile and the automotive industry?
1: Well, I did a rendering years ago. It was called the 200th running of the Kentucky Derby. And I had valets in, in gyro pantsuits with wheels on the, at the ankle. Now, you could put the wheels down and lock, and then you could skate. There's a, a gyro right in the small of your back. And they were hand-delivering messages, which would be very elitist in a, in a media transfer world. And so there'll be pantsuits like that, skating suits. I think there'll be uh, monowheel, which I've also rendered years ago for Automobile Quarterly, uh, monowheel, gyro-balanced uh, enclosures with a face plates. Those you were the egg
0: domes, right? That's right. Yeah, they were so
1: you don't get uh, pigeon droppings on your hair. <laughs> <laughs> at, I hate when that at happens. 20 miles, yeah. 20 miles an hour, it's sort you know, of... <laughs> and uh, so transportation will become, even now, an, an extended architectural environments. You have speedwalks, you have lift platforms, you have escalators. And I think a lot of the transportation uh, will be that kind of shared, almost a free public service, because over 50% of the people right now in the world live in city environments. Mm-hmm. And that'll, that's not going to go down. It's going to increase.
0: Is it then, then what you're saying is that rather than automobiles, which are still a kind of a communal transportation because they can accommodate multiple yes. people, transportation may then become far more personalized, one unit yes. per person. And the, the freeway
1: system or the road system might very well develop into, be, into being uh, travel ways for automated vehicles delivering stuff and, and, uh, and taking maybe groups of people somewhere, but uh, I think the automobile as an individually purchased and leased or or parked most of its time is is kind of a a fragile economic model. And the car companies are well aware of that. Yes, yes. They are.
2: What do you make of uh, Elon Musk's latest idea? It's not just his idea, obviously. This hyperloop where you shoot people in tubes at 800 miles an hour. The vac
1: tube. Yeah. That's a dream. (laughs) (laughs)
2: Listen to this. The futurist is saying this is a
1: dream. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> That's, it's, first of all, it's extremely expensive.
0: because you then than the, on
1: a high-speed rail train system. It's a system, sealed system. And how far do you want to go? You want to go hundreds, thousands of miles? I don't know.
0: There, you know, th- there is an issue with this that they haven't talked about because they always show the pod in there. You have to get in the pod where there's an atmosphere. You don't want people to, you know, because everything in the, the tube is evacuated of air. The reason yes. the thing can go 800 miles right. an hour is there's no air friction. But you've got to get the, introduce the vehicle in there. And this is all not a very simple system. You know, I mean, I like the idea. I think it's spectacular. I remember uh, this, this was once in a, a, a Gene Roddenberry science fiction pilot show called Earth 2, where there was an underground thing called the sub-shuttle. And it was basically a back. Yeah. Vac, yeah. Mm-hmm. But that was in the 60s. You know, yep. I mean, I think it's cool. And I'm, I'm glad Elon's putting his money in it. But if he said it could be built for $6 billion from L.A. to San Francisco. Yeah. And when you realize that to go from Boston to put the Avela, well, the, Avela the, the high-speed train we do have, that goes from Boston to D.C., I think, was 17 million. And it's a lot lower billion. tech. A billion. A billion. billion. Sorry. these are all billions. You're right. That's yeah. all super low tech by comparison. Yeah. You know, you like
1: see. like that politician, I forget his name right now. He said, "Now, once you're talking about a billion dollars, we're talking about real money, serious Everett money."
0: Everett Dirksen. Yes. Yeah, Dirksen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Serious. Don't you love it? Yeah. Billionaire, billionaire. <laughs> yeah. Now we're talking real money. <laughs> that thing behind you. Have, you're familiar with this? The Envy, the GM Envy. Yeah. I've I've
1: seen the uh, the videos of it.
0: Yes. What, what reminds me of, of a Sid Mead. This is autonomous, yeah. by the way, or, or designed yeah. to be autonomous. Yeah. Yeah. And it uses It, opens a, up. it uses sort of Segway technology because it's, it's primarily, even though it has, it has runner wheels, it's primarily a two-wheeled yes. vehicle. Right. Um, is, this, is this still too much of a car?
1: No, not really. Okay. No. And autonomous, it goes where you want it to go, which is the horse, back to the horse. And so we're, we've come this, this loop aided by elaborate technology. And, of course, Google's been running their cars on public streets for, what, three or four years. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You go on the Internet and you can see your house from space or uh, then pull the little man down, drop it on the street, and you can see your house. So that's amazing. Anywhere in the world, practically, in urban, large urban
0: centers. It's interesting when I do that and I see what cars in the driveway, I can figure out when the photo was taken. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> well, I don't know when I had a red sob. Saab. Yeah. Um, I, but I,
1: but this sort of thing now, these are the two little windows. What you have to watch out for in automotive design is the face. And it doesn't take much. You have two spots, maybe a spot here and another spot, and it's a face. You know, eye, eye, nose, mouth. And this has a sort of like a worried college professor (laughs) expression. (laughs) Now there were actually three of these, and they were done in different design studios.
2: The U.S., Europe, and Australia, Mm -hmm. if I remember right. I believe this is the European design one. Um,
0: I I, I could be wrong. I think you're right. I think you're right. And then the red one that was more angular was the one done in... uh, Australia, I think. Uh-huh. Yeah.
1: And it's called the NV? Yes. So that means, do you envy that because you don't have one? or? <laughs> well,
0: it, the, the naming of cars is interesting because you had things like the Ford Aspire, which you probably, if you owned one, you aspired to get out of it. The Achieva. In a, yeah, the Achieva, another I one. A, I
1: had a DTS after my 94 Fleetwood designed by uh, uh, Jordan's team. That got crashed into by an old lady in her Cadillac. So I went to a DTS and I said, what does that stand for? And they said, well, it's DeVille... We're not sure what the... I says the H for chutzpah? I don't
0: know. <laughs> <laughs> There's a the thing, though. Is there, is there such a thing as a bad name for a good car? I mean, other than calling a car like monkey pus, that's probably pushing well, the, the, the... Of needle.
1: course, Nova is a, is a stellar explosion of violent proportions. <laughs> yep. So I don't know why you'd name a car that, necessarily.
0: And, and in, in Spanish, it means doesn't go.
1: Yes, Nova. So, yeah. va. va is the operative Latin
0: base for... Voyage, Vi- Viego, yeah. So, but, but it, you know, the car still worked with that name. And Probe, yeah. I mean, there's yeah. one. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm, I'm
2: intrigued by your, your outlook for the auto industry. And you're saying 10 to 15 years. That's nothing in automotive design no. terms. That's nope. just a few, you know, not even a handful of design. It, they're technology. working on it.
0: It's two, yeah. gen, it's yeah. two generations of a, of a regular car. Right. right. Yeah. It's
1: happening very, very fast. Uh, Ray Kurzweil came to our house. He was on the front end of making his movie called The the singularity, and uh, his contention is that the speed up is speeding up. So it, it, in, it increases the proportion, every jump, and eventually the singularity in, in data, uh, graphical data p- depiction is when everything goes, all the asymptotes, which are the, which are the data segments, go parallel vertical and it goes asymptotic and you can't graph the progress anymore. So he says that'll happen about. Uh, 2035 or something like that, which is not, not that far away. Well, I've been astonished
2: when, in terms of autonomous technology, the great leap forward we've mm-hmm. seen in only six
0: years' time. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, and I uh, credit the so, so the, the DARPA next three, challenge. we're going to see even more in yeah. the next three. I no mean, question. we will for sure.
1: Well, technology, if you solve three problems, the next stage you solve seven. And then because it builds on its set, it's logarithmic. And the robot industry, humanoid, anthropomorphic robots, are getting very, very accomplished. And the first target is for, to help old people like me go up and down stairs or carry stuff. And it, it, they'll be in medical facilities and old age or retirement, let's call them retirement uh, silver lodges. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, that's and
1: that's what they're. I think the guy from Honda said in 20 years we'll be making robots, not cars. Mm-hmm. Wow. John, you teach at CCS. I I mean, are, ask, are, are you getting into all this? I was going to ask a real pragmatic question. What would you say then to someone who was just graduating from high school that wanted to go to college to become a car designer? If just, what you're saying is in 15 years, cars are going to be kind of gone. What does that say to somebody that wants to be who aspires to be a car designer? We have to learn to think. Thank you. The, was it over 2,000 years ago, I think it was a Socrates, because uh, I've been asked, well, Mr. Mead, I'm spending a lot of money going to school, but what, and I said, there's no guarantee, it's exactly. luck. And I said, Socrates, I think, said, luck is opportunity meeting preparation. And I said, your skill set has to be competitive. And even I said, myself, I said, I always assume that somebody out there is better than I am at the same thing that I do because there always. probably is, right. always. Right. And I treat students in these schools as my peers because less 48 months or 36 months, they're my, they're my colleagues. And that's why we uh, love so much to go around all these universities and do, do presentations because that age bracket from 19 to about 25, that age bracket right. is fascinating. They have their point of view. You can tell immediately if they've got film in the camera. Yeah. Exactly. I've never heard that saying yeah. before. I like that. <laughs> That's what's so much fun working with them because yes, they've got exactly. so much enthusiasm, yep. so much energy. They're not, they, they, they might be naive, but they're not cynical yet. Right. But and they what, haven't gotten there yet. And the success of being a survivor is being uh, cynical.
0: I call it being carefully crazy.
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah.
0: But in a way, that just says that it design doesn't have to be hooked around the concept of simply a car. No, no. That no. Automotive design is transportation it's design. It's design. It's mobility design. Yeah. Like and Sid it's, said, it's about thinking. It's the process of thinking. Somebody said,
1: um, well, you call it a bridge. I just call it a way of getting across the river. There you go. So <laughs> it could be whatever. An airplane does that, too. That's true. <laughs> yeah.
2: So we've talked about... Maybe the auto, the whole transportation system, is, as apropos of the automobile, is the, the automobile will truly fit into much more of an overall system than so. it does
1: today. Yes, I think so. I,
2: I, I remember back to my 1980 meeting with you. You said that we would be able to buy mobility in the future. Mm-hmm. That uh, it would go to the extent that we would know exactly which escalator to go to. When we got to the top, the elevator doors would open for us. I mean, you thought this thing through mm-hmm. from absolutely point A to point B, not just the car to the airport and, kind of a thought. You no, know,
1: I rendered for Automobile Quarterly again back then a little s- a picture of a scenario. There's, there's a guy and his girlfriend looking at this this scheduled map, electronic map, and here comes this round. It's, it's a round car because all the panels are concentric circles, and you can slide things and they're just waiting for their vehicle to arrive. It'll be programmed because they've already bought their tr- transit time uh, fee, paid it, and it'll just go and sit there and wait till you get there. And I think that's very definitely what the auto industry will end up doing is creating these these autonomous vehicles that are are most certainly time-shared with anybody who wants them. That depends in, in turn on a sort of civility, uh, respect for the fact that you're not the only one that's going to be in this right for see
2: that's where i don't think it'll go totally public because i know if if i use a car sharing car somebody's going to have spilled their milkshake yep. inside it before yep. i get there and
1: I, so i'm going to want my own owning your own vehicle exclusive to you is becoming expensive right now we have four cars we have a driver which is the dts uh, cadillac we have a 2003 sebring convertible lovely little car I have a collector, 72 Imperial, with now 10,000 miles on it, perfect condition, and my partner Roger has a 57 Mercury, two-door Turnpike Cruiser. Now both the, the back horizontal
0: antennas. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> oh yeah!
1: And cool both cars, that. two and a half tons. The Mercury has a 10 to 1 compression engine, the big Ford block, and these engines. And the Imperial has a 440. These engines move two and a half tons. Very fast. Yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> but use a fair amount of fuel to do it, don't they? Well,
1: but then when the cars were built,
0: cents gasoline
1: a was 18 to $0.30 cents a gallon. Right. That whole uh, series of years spread. So you were more worried about would it have enough gas in the tank to carry you from here to there rather than what the gas cost. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, real good. Uh, on that note, we're going
2: to have to wrap this up. Sid Mead, thanks so much for coming in and sharing your <laughs>
1: visions, your your
2: remembrances
1: past, and, and all that. It's good to see you again after all these years. The last time was just radio. Right? That's right. That's exactly <laughs> right. So, and gentlemen, you know, you're the real car people. I'm just sort of trailing along, trying to. Figure out what's going on and make pictures of it. <laughs>
2: yeah. oh. John
1: Madugian, want to thank you for having come thanks in and having Jim me.
2: Hall. Always great to God, have thanks. you guys I really here. Appreciate it. This has been a terrific discussion. Hope you all enjoyed it, and please join us again next week for another episode <laughs> of AutoLine this week.
1: Underwriting for AutoLine this week is provided by. In this epic battle of fuel efficiency and endurance, we're here to see which
0: hybrid has the best MPG. That's the essence of a hybrid soul. But is there more to it?
1: The Hybrid game MPG Challenge.